ghouls and fiends welcome once again to another edition of the ministry of horror we are live on the mos network every tuesday evening 8 p.m uk 3 p.m eastern of course you know that if you're watching this live but if you don't if you're watching this on vod you're catching this on podcast platforms uh that's when it goes out live my name is tez this is the ministry of horror how's it going how's it going um we've got fran in the chat we've got the graph in the chat how's it going guys um woof, woof. action-packed action-packed uh week or so that we've had uh thanks thanks to everyone who's checked out uh checked out the show recently or checked out ministry of slam on on sunday we had a big show talking about survivor series war games be sure to check that out if you haven't already um and yeah, one of the things we talked about is that both myself and Lawrence have kind of uh, taken up gaming back on uh, on Twitch. So I would do some gaming here occasionally. We did the Quarry was the most sort of prominent kind of game that I did on on Ministry Islam Network. Um, I yeah, but I mean, I think me and Lawrence kind of both uh, had a, a similar sort of um, view. I remember speaking to him. Uh, about how I'd started to go back onto doing gaming on on Twitch, I find it just a little bit less stressful. Uh, it's a bit more low key, um, and uh, and yeah, he's now also doing some gaming back on Twitch, which is really cool. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't already, head to twitch.tv forward slash tezius t e z z i u s, and of course also if you haven't already, head to um, voodoo underscore rocks. That's Twitch TV forward slash voodoo underscore rocks uh that's um that's lawrence's uh is twitch and obviously tez this is my twitch um i've been doing some gaming of the dark pictures anthology uh devil in me obviously we've got uh the callista protocol coming out this friday so i'm gonna have to start doing that as well at some point uh dark pictures i can't imagine is that long a game i feel we probably will get through it fairly fairly quickly but i played a bit more last night one of the characters got burnt alive that was interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, head over there, check that out. I also did a bit of a gaming of a game called Forsake. I only last about half an hour because it's a bit too scary. I think I need to play that in a group, uh, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, it's it's cool. It's cool. It's quite low-key fun. Quite low-key fun. Oh, the Gruff's copy of Callistic Protocol has been posted today. You lucky, lucky boy. Um, yeah, I ordered from Amazon. Uh, it's marked it down as estimate delivery is Friday, which I think is the release date. Best case scenario, I might get it Thursday, depending on when they dispatch it. But, you know, whenever I've pre-ordered stuff from Amazon recently, it's normally been the day the day of release. So, uh, no spoilers, Gruff. <laughs> I know you won't anyway. Um, but, I mean, other than that, since doing the show uh, with Gruff on uh, on Buffy, man, I've been binging. Really gotten back into, into that show. I mean... Effects-wise, it hasn't aged well. It was very much of its time, and even of its time, it didn't have that great effects. You know, it's it's TV. Uh, TV budgets have changed considerably over the years. Um, but yeah, it's great, great, great stuff. I've, I've I'm on to series six now. Started series six, so I have been blitzing through it, uh, but having a great time. Having a great time. That's the main thing. Um, let's jump straight in to the news, but I probably should preface as part of this little preamble. Uh, for tonight's show i did mention on the ministry of slam when lawrence asked me what i got coming up this week and i hadn't got anything planned yet i was potentially possibly going to be looking at um some of the films of david cronenberg i decided to put that on the back burner because i just i 
Dave Cronenberg's one of those directors where I've seen a smattering of his films. And most of them I haven't seen for a very long time. Uh, so I thought, um, I, you know, I uh, I, I thought, is, is it is it worth me doing a show on him just yet if I haven't rewatched some of his films or seen some of them for the first time? Like Videodrome, I saw a very long time ago. I thought it was very weird. Um, you know, there's some of them I've seen more recently, like Scanners I've seen for a second time recently. But, you know, I just thought it's probably better for me to talk on the topic if I've refreshed my memory on some or watched some for the first time. Uh, so I thought, you know, I'll put that to one side. And I thought, what else can we talk about tonight? Now, what I was going to talk about, but I've decided to move again for a few weeks, um, was going to be Killer or Demonic Dolls. Now, you might think, I oh, only recently did a show on Chucky. True, which is why I'm not doing it just yet. Chucky Series 2 is now out on Sky, uh, Sky Sci-Fi, I think it is. So I have got that to start watching. I've not started that yet. Um, but uh, what I kind of thought was that film Megan is coming out soon, the new James Wan killer cyborg doll thing. And I thought we could do a show on, you know, that'd be The Conjuring, Annabelle from The Conjuring films, uh, you know, demonic toys, puppet masks, things like that. And Dolls, the uh, the classic film. But I thought, let, let's put that on the back burner as well, because Megan isn't out till January. It's probably going to make some more sense to do it then. Um, I do have, at some point in December, planned a show to have a, a, return, a returning guest on to look at uh, English folk horror. He's a, he's a big fan of that, so that'll be interesting. Haven't got a date set for that just yet, so uh, just keep an eye on that. But I've got plans for the next, you know, uh, the next like month or so's worth of shows. It's going to take us into the new year, and I think at some point in the new year, I can't remember when we started exactly, but I believe this is show 43, so we are closing in on our first year of the MOH. So I'll do celebrations for that. At some point in December as well, I'm going to do an awards show um, you know, like uh, best film of the year, best you know. I'll think of some categories. I'll put out my my awards on that show, and I'll probably like on the Discord or put it on socials or something. Have like the community award, something like that, where the community voted best film, that sort of thing. But that's going to be once we're in December, once we're in the end of year sort of period. Um, but yeah, we've got plenty of things kind of on the schedule to to come to. Uh, let's have a look, but the long rambling part of it, the, what I originally started to say was that I was going to do Dave Cronenberg, but instead I, I thought, you know what, talked about John Carpenter, talked about Stephen King, I've talked about, you know, these things that are like my favourites, and I thought, I do actually like quite like quite a few films of Wes Craven, and I thought, we, we have talked about Friday the 13th, not Friday the 13th, we have done that, we've talked about Nightmare on Elm Street fairly recently, so... I'm going to briefly touch on that film, but we're not going to spend too long on that because if you are a fan of Friday the 13th, we did a whole show on the franchise. Check that out in the archive. Um, but I thought, let's look at some of the films of, uh, of Wes Craven, the late, great Wes Craven. Um, hey, in the chat, Baby Ice is here. Cronenberg Shivers is a must-watch. Uh, what up? Um, Shivers is good, better than Rabid, Fran says. Yeah, Rabid is fine. <laughs> it's fine uh and my name is not l cronenberg's map to the stars is my favorite julianne moore robert patson john cusack do you know what we might do cronenberg maybe next week and what i will try and get around to doing in the interim now it's in my fresh in my head is watch and review uh future crimes or whatever whatever his latest film's called crimes of the future 
maybe that's maybe that's a good plan because I haven't seen that yet, and it is a newish film. You know, it's been out in the last uh, last couple of months, but it's not out anywhere on streaming yet. I think you can rent it, so we'll, we'll, maybe we'll do that. That will make sense, actually. Yeah, <laughs> but let's uh, let's jump into the latest horror news. What's more, news music? No, that's MOS news. <laughs> Okay, uh, so this comes from, as oh, does all my news, bloodydisgusting.com, John Squires. Five new horror movies releasing this week, including Violent Night, starring David Harbour. Um, so here's all the new horror that's headed down the chimney between November 28th and December 4th. Uh, this week is all quiet on the horror front until Thursday, December 1st, which kicks off the release of The Harbinger, which has been favourably compared to Nightmare on Elm Street. Pretty sure in the last 10 minutes or something I've bitten my tongue because I've got that feeling where, you know, when you're just thinking, oh, I've bitten it and I can, I'm now I'm talking quite a bit, I can just feel that I'm going to do it again. I don't remember biting it though, but off on a little ramble, I'm quite uncomfortable at the moment. <laughs> Um, so in the film, from writer-director Andy Mitten, Monique ventures out of quarantine to visit an old friend who's plagued by nightmares. She finds herself drawn into a hellish dreamscape where she must face her greatest fears or risk never having existed at all. Joe Lipscomb wrote in his review for Blood Disgusting, there's been no shortage of COVID-era films, but The Harbinger feels like one of the few that engages with the pandemic in a way that isn't exploiting or sensationalising the virus for cheap scares. Uh, Emily Davis, Gabby Beans... Miles Walker and Raymond Anthony Thomas Starr. Okay, I mean, we've talked before on the show about films made during COVID. It's it feels bad to kind of shit on them because you know, get out there, make films, you know, and uh, that whole era of lockdowns and all that made it very difficult to to get films made. You know, limited cast, crew, all these all these things because of restrictions. Uh, that being said, there are some films that you saw and you could straight away tell this was made during the pandemic, wasn't it? Because there's barely, there's like two, three people in the cast. It's very slimmed down. And I do find more often than not that a slimmed down cast can more often than not not be a highlight. Sometimes if you've got a great story and or great actors, it can work. But more often than not, it can be, you know, I've I've seen plenty of unfortunately shite covid uh covid films but the harbinger sounds interesting there is a trailer in the link give it out if give it a check out if you wish so moving on travis stevens now i did see the trailer for this a minute ago travis stevens uh who who directed jacob's wife which is a pretty good film with uh barbara crampton uh is back with a wounded fawn a mind-bending new shadow original that's set to premiere on the streaming service on wednesday december 1st the feature film premiered earlier this year at the Tribeca Film Festival to great acclaim, then went on to screen at Fright Fest in London and Fantastic Fest. Inspired by surrealist art and Greek mythology, A Wounded Fawn follows the story of Meredith Tanning, Sarah Lind, a local museum creator who is dipping her toe back into the dating pool, only to be targeted by charming serial killer played by Josh Rubin, uh, who did Scare Me. Um, he was in Scare Me as well, and he did Werewolves Within. Two pretty decent films, and Josh Rubin, I remember mainly um, initially for College Humor back in the day. I, I, I haven't watched College Humor in a few years. I've, I did find that after a number of them, and the original cast went. And you've always got to give the new cast on any sort of you know show a, a chance, of course. But I did find with College Humor, that was one of those shows where... The the dynamic and the the the, the humor just 
wasn't for me anymore after a lot of the originals left. But he was from that, and uh, yeah, he did Scare Me and Where Else Was In. Uh, so when a faithful romantic getaway between the two becomes a tense game of cat and mouse, both must confront the madness within him. Okay. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I, I reckon I'll check that out. It's, like I said, I saw the trailer about five minutes before uh, before bringing the show live, and it looked pretty interesting. It looked pretty interesting. So, next up, Tommy Wicola, who did Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters, and Dead Snow, is back with the bloody new movie, Violent Night, and Universal is releasing the holiday movie in theatres on December 2nd. Violent Night stars David Harbour uh, as an ass-kicking Santa Claus, and the film was compared to Die Hard by David Harbour at CinemaCon earlier this year. In the film, an elite team of mercenaries breaks into a wealthy family compound on Christmas Eve, taking everyone inside hostage. But the team isn't prepared for a surprise combatant, Santa Claus. Uh, he's on the grounds and he's about to show why this Nick is no saint. Beverly D'Angelo of Christmas Vacation, John Leguizamo, Alex Haskell and Alexis Lauder also appear in the movie, alongside Eddie Patterson and Cam Gigandet. Um, Pat Casey and Josh Miller wrote the movie. Okay, I mean, it does look it looks pretty fun. It does look pretty fun. I'm going to make sure to try and check it out uh, when I can. And then moving on to... Oh, no, I've got a couple more. Uh, Tilda Swinton stars alongside... Fuck's sake. Tilda Swinton stars alongside Tilda Swinton in A24's The Eternal Daughter. And the Martin Scorsese-produced ghost story comes to theatres and on demand this Friday. Joanna Hogg's uh, new movie stars Swinton in a dual role. In The Eternal Daughter, an artist and her elderly mother confront long-buried secrets when they return to a former family home, now a haunted hotel, uh, now a hotel haunted by its mysterious past. A24 pre uh, previews, featuring a towering, deeply moving performance by Tilda Swinton, acclaimed filmmaker Joanna Hogg's beguiling latest film is a brilliant and captivating exploration of parental relationships and the things we leave behind. Josh Middell and Carly Sophia Davies also star. Um, the reason I went, oh, fucking hell, when I saw it said Tilda Swinton stars alongside Tilda Swinton. Now I've got no major issue with people doing dual roles. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Well, I was surprised to find out that uh, Mia Goth was playing uh, Maxine and Pearl in X. I didn't re realise it was her in the makeup until about two thirds into the film where I started thinking, is that, is that Mia Goth? Like, I, I didn't know that going in. But uh, the reason with this, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, is because, and she wasn't the main kind of issue with it, but Tilda Swinton in Suspiria plays like two or maybe even three roles in the remake of Suspiria. Now, I don't like the remake of Suspiria as a film anyway. I thought it was such a missed opportunity. Um, but the fact that they had her in, I'm pretty sure it was three roles, just seemed like such a vanity thing. And I'm not saying that necessarily about Tilda Swinton. She doesn't cast herself in projects. I don't. I don't believe she was a producer or anything on Suspiria. So that call would come down to the producers, director, casting, whatever. Not not her necessarily. I'm not got no issue with Tilda Swinton. I think she's a great actress. But when it's like, you know, like a Eddie Murphy does a film and he plays majority of the characters, 
I guess interesting the first time round, but then it becomes a trope, and it's like, do you just not like working with other people, or do you think you're that good that you can play all these different roles? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a professional actor, um, and this film needs to be viewed and and reviewed on its own merit. Of course, I've not seen the trailer for this, but um, that was one of the things that stood. One of the many issues that I I had with the Suspiria remake was. What is the benefit here of Tilda Swinton playing multiple characters? And they're not related to each other either, so there's no like, oh yeah, she's playing that role and this role and that role because they're actually brother and sister or blah, 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 or they're related. No, no, no. No. <laughs> there was no need to have the same person playing the multiple roles. You could say the same for Mia Goff and X, but I think it worked in that because it was surprising. It was... Unless you knew it going in, you 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 know you wouldn't know straight away that she was playing both roles. Um, John in the chat, Swamp Thing, nineteen eighty two. Uh, yeah, that's um that's another Wes Craven classic. I haven't got it on today's list because I haven't actually seen that. But um, thank you for uh for dropping in the live chat, John. Welcome to the show. Uh, and then next up, I think our final new film for the week from Twentieth Century Studios. Rial Down stars in the supernatural comedy Darby and the Dead, and the film is set to premiere exclusively on Hulu this Friday, December 2nd. Some people never truly leave you alone. After suffering a near-death experience as a young girl, Darby Harper gains the ability to see dead people. As a result, she becomes introverted and shut off from her high school peers and prefers to spend time counselling lonely spirits who have unfinished business on Earth. But all that changes when Capri, the queen bee of the school's most exclusive clique, unexpectedly dies in a freak hair-straightening accident, resulting in the obvious cancellation of her upcoming Suite 17. Capri, however, pleads with Darby from the other side to intervene and convince Capri's friends to proceed with the party as planned. In order to appease the wrath of the undead diva, Darby must um, emerge from her self-imposed exile and reinvent herself, which along the way allows her to find new joy back in the land of the living. Darby and the Dead stars Riel Downs, Aili, I can't pronounce that, um, so apologies, Aili Cravalho, Chosen Jacobs, Asher Angel, Wayne Knight, oh, Wayne Knight from Third Rock from the Sun and Jurassic Park, um, with Derek Luke and Tony Danza, and it's directed by Silas Howard. Uh, going to be honest, the blurb does not sound too interesting to me. Um, sounds a bit teen. Sounds a little bit teen, personally. Mel is in the chat. Hey, Unexplained Possibilities, Mel. Be sure, um, guys, if you haven't already, to give um, Mel's channel, Unexplained Possibilities, a follow. Uh, really cool stuff on there and mel has got a book coming out soon so um be sure i'll put a link to the discord the uh, mos network discord in the chat so be sure to check out there uh for mel's new book um copy paste in the live chat so hopefully that should work as a link to the discord um if you haven't already joined it. Loads of cool things going on in our Discord, guys. Uh, we've got uh, Ministry of Horror channel in there, Community Channel, Ministry of Slam, uh, Unexplained Possibilities, of course, and loads of cool things going on there. We've also got a book club. So people may, who've been listening to the show for a while, may know we have the MOH book club, uh, Ministry of Horror book club. I've kind of put that to one side. I'm still, I am still reading the last book I selected for it, which is My Heart is a Chainsaw. Long story short, I've been doing some studying, this uh, open uni stuff, and you have to read like a book every week or two weeks. 
So I'm ha I've had to learn to speed read. Um, I've gotten better at it. It was a bit of a struggle to jump into something like Far From the Madding Crowd and read all 400 or 380 pages of that within two weeks. Um, but I've gotten better at that. Anyway, long and short of it, I'm still getting through my Hazard Chainsaw. But what we have discussed, and I think is the better route uh, in the Discord, rather than doing an MOH book club anymore, where I pick a book and then we talk about it, you know, in two months' time, whenever it is that I read it, that we do it like a proper online community book club. So there is a forum in the Discord where you can join. There's no, you know, exclusions or anything. And a member will pick a book. So currently the book has been picked uh, by Bericles. It's called The Last. And early Jan, we're then going to record our thoughts in the forum. And uh, the next member, because I didn't want to keep picking the books. Like I will pick a book in the book club at some point, but I want quite a few people to, to put their selection forward. So there's no, there's no voting like whose book do we pick? None of that stuff, because I don't, I don't like that. Um, I think it's, you know, one person picks... We, uh, we've then got, you know, six weeks, four, six, eight weeks, uh, six weeks things we've decided on to, to read that and we can discuss it. And then the next person who hasn't picked a book puts forward their book. And it can be, you can listen to it on an audio book, it can be a graphic novel, it could be an autobiography. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be horror at all, it's open to all genres. So uh, if you're a reading fan or an audiobook fan, whatever, check it out. Anyway, that's my shameless plug for the book club. Let's move on in the news. Do, 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 do. So, now this does interest me because I remember this film being fucking crazy back in the day. Um, from John Squires by Discussing.com. The Dentist and The Dentist 2 are drilling into Blu-ray for the first time. Man, I, I have not seen these films. I don't... I think I've seen both of them, but I've not seen them for such a long time. And they're typical 90s batshit crazy slashers. Um, a 90s horror staple, the Corbin Benson starring The Dentist, is making its Blu-ray debut as part of a double feature package that also includes the sequel. From Lionsgate, The Dentist Collection is coming to Blu-ray on January 24th, 2023. Where there's a drill, there's a way. Corbin Benson stars as homicidal dentist Dr. Alan Finestone in these two horror favourites available for the first time on Blu-ray. Um... So, I mean, I won't go for all the special features. You know, you've got commentaries, score. Uh, for the first film, there's The Doctor is Insane, an interview with the actor, a medical malpractice interview with the co-writer, um, audio commentary, James is, Jamie's new neighbour interview with actress Julianne McWhorter on The Dentist 2, a tale of two dentists, an interview with producer Pierre David, among other things. So in The Dentist... The artwork where it looks cool as well. In The Dentist, Beverly Hills dentist Dr. Feinstein seems to have the perfect ordered life until the discovery of his wife's affair with the pool boy sends him off the deep end, unlocking the killer inside. The Dentist 2 finds the evil doctor in a maximum security mental hospital, but not for long, as he escapes to a small town and turns his attention to new victims. So this looks like it's a Vestron video collector series, and I think I've got... Uh, Blood Motel. I think that's a Vestron video collection collection series. Interesting. Uh, my name is not Earl. Hey, my name is not Earl's in the chat. Um, the dentist sounds familiar. It's one of those catch it late at night, you know, in the in the late nineties on TV. I think it's like ninety two or something. The first film might have been. Yeah, classic, classic, dodgy slashes. Um, a lot of fun. Next up, 
from John Squires, but disgusting. Awaken the Reaper. First look at Lance Henriksen in Grim Reaper horror movie. Reminds me, I've still got um, Millennium to watch. It's same old thing. I get a box set. I watch an episode. I forget about it for years. <laughs> and then I sell the box set. And then I think, you know what? I should give Millennium a watch. I need to, at just some point, it doesn't help that I start an X-Files binge and I've started a Buffy binge. I need to free up some binge time and go, right, let's get into Millennium and give it a proper crack. But I digress. Lance Henriksen, star of Pumpkinhead and Aliens, will next be seen in horror movie Awaken the Reaper. And Deadline shares a first look image along with additional information this week. Awaken the Reaper is now filmed with David Campfield and Justin Poole directing. The film follows a troubled drifter who returns home to begin therapy when he begins experiencing visions of a hooded skeletal figure that brandishes a scythe. Lewis Gossett Jr. and Robin Curtis also star. Um, David Campford wrote the script. I mean, I'm always down for a Lance Henriksen film. He's, he's, he's done some classics. He's done some chuff. He's been in a lot of films at the end of the day. And, um, I mean, he's got to be getting on now. So the more, the more films he does, the more I'll, I'll keep an eye out for them while he's, while he's around. You never, you know, you know, never, never want to be morbid about these things, but I mean, dude's been looking ancient since the nineties. <laughs> But yeah, I, I always like a good Lance Henriksen film. Um, a staple of horror and sci-fi. Now, this one's been doing the rounds on social media. So once again, I'm going to drop a link in the chat. Be sure to check them out. Of course, I get all my news from there. So I've got to be uh, spreading the love and hopefully getting them some clicks. Although they don't need me for clicks because they're huge. <laughs> Blood disgusting, John Squires. The Mean One trailer. Terrifier 2 star David Howard Thornton is the Grinch in Whoville Horror Movie. Atlas Film Distribution is getting set to unleash The Mean One, a highly unofficial Christmas horror movie that turns the Grinch into a slasher movie maniac. Because why not? The company will release Stephen Lamort's outrageous slasher parody in US cinemas on December 9th, and the official trailer has been unleashed. Watch The Mean One trailer below. In the audacious new parody, the mean one is a hairy, green-skinned grump in a Santa suit, living on a mountain high above the town of Newville, despising the holiday season. Young Cindy You-Know-Who, played by Crystal Martin, whose parents were butchered by the mean one 20 Christmases earlier, is returning to town to seek closure. But when the mean one launches a new reign of terror that threatens to destroy Christmas, Cindy finds a bold new purpose, trapping and killing the monster. Directed by Lamort with a script by um, Flip and Finn Cobbler, the mean one also stars Chase Mullins, John Bingham, Eric Baker, Flip Cobbler and Amy Schumacher. Co-production between the Sleight of Hand Productions, Amy Rose Productions and Cali Pictures, the features produced by Schumacher, Lamort and Martine Malau. There is a link uh, and artwork in the link in the chat. Oh, right, couple more bits left. Terror Train 2, Chubby's remake, is already getting a sequel this New Year's Eve. Again, John Squires, Burdiscussion.com. Chubby's remake of the 80s slasher movie Terror Train was just released for the Halloween season, and today we've learned the sequel has already headed our way for New Year's Eve. Fucking hell. Really? I mean, that's got to be the quickest release of one film to its sequel surely 
I mean, I don't know how close together they were filmed, but fucking hell. A Chibi original, Terror Train 2 introduces a brand new storyline slated to premiere this New Year's Eve, which pays homage to the festive setting of the first film that famously took place at a New Year's Eve party. From Chibi and Incendo, the sequel rap production in Montreal will be available in the US exclusively on Chibi on December 31st, 2022. I don't know where this is coming out in the UK. I don't know if Terror Train, the remake, has come out yet in the UK. I've not seen it anywhere. But, um, come on, guys, we need a Tubi in the UK, or at least we need arrangements between, like, a UK counterpart. Kind of like HBO in America, our counterpart is, like, Sky... That's it, Sky Max now? Sky Atlantic? I think it's Sky Atlantic still. And I keep biting my tongue. I've bitten it twice now in the last five minutes. Fuck. Um... So, okay, there's a there's a blurb here, but it seems to give a bit of a spoiler to what happens in Terror Train. And I've not seen the remake of Terror Train, so I'm not going to go into that. But uh, if you've seen the new remake of Terror Train, we're getting a sequel this year. Um, Hassan Terrell, AEW Dark is on tonight, the last one on November. Hey, Hassan, welcome to the show. Um, yeah, I've not watched Dark in a little while, but um, yeah. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it, dude. I, well, when it's on. I hope you enjoy it when it's on. And my name is uh, Winnie the Pooh, and now a killer Grinch. Um, and Baby Ice says, can't wait for the horror version of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, that's got to be coming next. What What else can they take from our childhood? I say take from our childhood. It just I've not seen the, the Winnie the Pooh film. When I saw the images, I kind of just thought, oh, man. It gets headlines. It gets some buzz, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. Maybe it'll surprise me, but I just thought it's just people wearing masks. It doesn't like it doesn't even look like it's authentic. But this Grinch one looks kind of interesting, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm keeping an open mind. Uh and then finally, Cocaine Bear. Official poster roars to life ahead of the February twenty twenty three release. Finally this comes from John Squires at blooddiscussion.com. Inspired by true events, Universal's thriller Cocaine Bear is on the way early next year from director Elizabeth Banks, and the official poster roars to life this afternoon. Have a quick swig of water. <laughs> Universal will bring Cocaine Bear to theatres on February 24th, 2023. The movie is inspired by true events that took place in Kentucky in 1985, and it was written by Jimmy Warden, Phil Lord, and Chris Miller. Um, oh, sorry. Written by Jimmy Warden, Phil Lord, and Chris Miller produced. The basic gist of the story is that a 175-pound black bear was found dead from an overdose after ingesting massive amounts of cocaine dropped into the woods by a drug smuggler. Deadline details the movie finds an oddball group of cops, criminals, tourists, and teens converging in a Georgia forest where a 500-pound apex predator has ingested a staggering amount of cocaine and gone on a coke-fueled rampage for more blow and blood. Kerry Russell, Ray Liotta, Alden, Einrich, um, Alden Ironrich, O'Shea Jackson, and Jesse Lynn Ferguson star in the movie. Brian Duffield is also on board to produce. And the poster is a... It's a bear covered in cocaine. I mean, that's what it says on the tin, I guess. Uh, Elizabeth Banks, the actress. Yeah, that's, that's her. She directed... Uh, uh, bu 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 bu. she directed Charlie's Angels. 
Um, my name is not Earl. I think she directed like Pitch Perfect or something like that. I don't know. Brand the Cannon. She's been working behind the camera for years now as well. Those Pitch Perfect films are her work. There you go. Um, oh, yes, of course. My name is not Earl. Radio to R.I.P. Yes. Yes. That was a shame. <laughs> Fran the Cannon. Tony Khan the Bear. <laughs> Uh, yeah, very much so. <laughs> Is this the bear that's been booking AEW for most of the year? <laughs> but it, yeah, AEW has been seemingly getting better the last few weeks. So I, I, I hold my criticism for the moment. <laughs> but that's the news. That's the news. That is the news for uh, for the week. Now, I have watched one new film again it's been another um, another one of those weeks where i guess i overindulged with halloween during halloween with tons of new films seemingly every week if not every day at times post halloween we have had a bit of a quiet period for new for new films um we've had a couple on shudder that have been a bit dog shit but we have now got another new Shudder exclusive, and I think we talked about it on the news maybe two weeks back. And that is today's one single review. Slashback. Slashback is a 2022 um, horror, sci-fi, uh, coming-of-age almost type film uh, from Nyla Inuksuk, written by Ryan Kavan and uh, Nyla Inuksuk, starring Christian Brun, Sean Benson, and Tassiana Shirley. Uh, when Micah and her ragtag friends discover an alien invasion in their tiny Arctic hamlet, it's up to them to save the day. Utilising their makeshift weapons and horror movie knowledge, the aliens realise you don't mess with girls from Pang. So, initially, when I was going to watch this, on Shudder... It came out on Shudder, I think, on Friday, maybe, or not slightly earlier last week. I saw the artwork and I thought, don't know, don't know, it looks a bit overtly sci-fi. And also the, the creatures on the cover with all the tentacles, I thought, oh, man, I don't find tentacles scary. And it always seems to be if there's some sort of cosmic horror or Cthulhu-related horror, you know, like a Lovecraftian horror tentacles doesn't scare me in the slightest not something i have any kind of interest in so i was very much like oh god right i need i need a horror film to watch you know a new film to watch i can't have no review you know so i put this on it's pretty good it's, it's actually pretty good uh so the cast it opens up it's in in subtitles it's uh I, I i don't know what the the name would be but it's a inuit language between um a young young child and her father and we cut to then the present day where there's a real kind of contrast between the traditions of the inuit people and the community and then the uh the young groups coming up and trying to i guess a mixture of honor those traditions but also go their own path and you know embrace more technology and and, and so on and so forth um <laughs> in the chat uh no, that's correct unexplained possibilities mel you are correct i do not have a tentacle fetish exactly <laughs> uh my name is not does not like the name of the film slashback yeah it's not a great title 
I've got to be honest, it's not a great title. It doesn't really hold into anywhere in the film. There's not like a particular moment where someone says slashback or whatever. Um, I guess it's kind of like flashback, but it's a slasher, maybe. I don't know. Title's not great. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, so there, there's this mixture of honouring the traditions of the old, but wanting to go go their own path and not be tied down by traditions. You know, these, these young girls want to be meeting boys or, you know, whatever. And um and it, it, it's it is kind of a coming of age story to a degree but um the first time they encounter one of these monsters and we do get a little bit of a cameo i, I can't remember the guy's name but there's a guy in this who played uh tony uh christian brun i think that's the guy's name playing tony conk he yeah he was in ready or not and orphan black he played donny in orphan black i think he's done a few other things but he's in the very start of the film um and he's always quite funny but he's got a small role in this but the first time that we see this kind of alien creature um the girls have gone out hun hunting so if you're not into hunting then this maybe not the film for you in terms of what the, the characters are doing early on and um one of them sees a white polar bear. And again, you're probably thinking, oh, why are they shooting at that? That's awful. I don't know. I don't know the cultures. I don't know how close this is and if they need to do it for the safety of the, their tiny Arctic hamlet. I don't know. Not in the past judgment. But the thing that they notice is after it's shot, it gets up and it starts walking to, towards them at pace. But it's not walking normally. And obviously a bear's on all fours. But there's just something a bit off about the way its legs are moving. We also find that when this this alien, kind of like a parasitic alien to a degree, when it inhabits or takes over people, it's basically wearing their skin like a suit. And you need to see it to understand really how, what I mean by that. But again, it does this this horrible walking where it's almost like it's falling apart. And if you run, try to run around it, it just flops backwards and spider walks with its head facing you. It is actually quite creepy, those moments. The young cast, I mean, the acting is youngsters, so the acting isn't going to be stellar, stellar, but they're pretty funny. They are pretty funny. They've all got particular unique characters. Their interactions with each other work quite well. And it does come up quite often that you just you don't mess with the girls from Pang. Um, that does seem like a cheesy line in the blur, but actually, no, they are pretty badass at times. Um, uh, Fran can chat. Strong female lead hunting alien culture class sounds a bit like Prey. Kind of, but it's very different to, it's very different to Prey. There's no sort of... Um, culture really being strongly imposed on the girls they are the group of girls are kind of front and center there's about four of them and one of them's got their their younger sister there as well um but it's a proper little ensemble sort of piece and um i guess they're kind of uh, yeah i wouldn't look at it too much i mean in terms of when you look at it in black and white it's kind of similar to prey but really it's it, it's not in the film at all i'd have to say it's uh I thought this was pretty cool, actually. I actually, I actually dug it quite a lot. Um, it's not overtly bloody. The alien's blood, blood is black, but the use of the importance of that plays into the film and plays into the interactions with these aliens. Um, the logic they apply, there's no sort of massive logical leaps. Like, you're kind of finding out what's going on at the same time 
the girls are and the, the group that they're going around with um it's got some pretty badass moments as well i i can't really fault this film i had a I had a great time watching it, actually. I was very pleasantly surprised. So I'm going to give Slashback 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10. Really decent Shudder exclusive, I have to say. You know, it's not going to be for everyone. Um, but I, I just thought this was a lot of fun, actually. Um, it, was, it was Part of the score of 8 is how much it surprised me, really, that uh, I, I just thought the blurb and the artwork, I thought, oh, it doesn't really look like my sort of thing. But no, it shot very well. And... Um, I I can't really give it any downs, I would say. And like I say, the girls are quite funny in it. It's not like a comedy-comedy sort of film, but like some of the interactions they have, it's pretty funny. Just pretty funny. That's all I can say on that. Uh, so that is Slash Back. Now, I sent y'all some homework last week. And we have got some more homework as well this week. So, you know, I'm I'm trying to be a bit more consistent with the homework. Uh, but last week's homework I set was the... What year was it released? The 1988 American horror film. Where's the artwork? Scarecrow. Well, there's the light reflecting on it. Scarecrows. So I've got this from the uh, 88 Films Slasher Collection. 1988, uh, written and produced and directed by William Wesley. If the plot follows a group of mercenaries who hijacked a plane in California and after making an emergency landing in a cornfield, find themselves stalked by a murderous scarecrow or murderous scarecrows possessed by spirits. It was independently financed. It was filmed in 1985 in Davie, Florida and released direct to video several years later after its distributors and Manson International Pictures went bankrupt. So, I'm going to give you guys a moment in the in the live chat. Uh, did anyone watch Scarecrows? And if so, what did you think? And what would be your score out of 10? Now, this is by no means uh, an excellent film. You could argue it's by no means a good film. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> Oh, I've just seen in the chat, the gruff. I have a note from my mum about this week's due to job assessments and interviews. I haven't had time to complete. We'll hand it in next week. I mean, this is a, I suppose that's a first time offence. You got a note from your mum, so I can I can let that slide, but yeah, I'll expect your report in next week, gruff. Anyone else in the live chat? Anyone else seen Scarecrows? I wanna want to talk about it uh unexplained possibilities i've seen that film a long time ago it's cheesy and cheesy but it's fun cheese five out of ten <laughs> my name is not earl i forgot to watch scarecrows and do you have a do you have a note do you have, uh yeah. oh, my name is not earl my goodness i mean it's it i will say I will say in fairness, I don't know about internationally, but this isn't, you know, this isn't available on streaming legally, of course. Uh, so I will, you know, I, I, I'll put that caveat in there. I'm aware that it may not be as easily accessible as some other films, you know, that are on like Prime or Netflix. Which I probably should have thought about before selecting the next piece of homework. But yeah, I mean, this film, it's, uh, I just thought it was fun. 
And I thought some of the, I think especially the first kill from memory in this film uh, was pretty, pretty darn toot and spooky. Babyless, what is this review? This was great. 7.5 out of 10. Would have got more points if there was a female scarecrow. I watched Ginger Snaps, my name's Noel says. Uh, I think that was the week prior. Yes, that was. But you, you did do that homework. That's fair. That's fair. So yeah, Baby Eyes gives it a 7.5 out of 10. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, like I say, I like it. I don't think in terms of conventional standards it's a great film, but I thought it's got some really cool scares in it. I think the atmosphere in this is excellent. It's one of those things... For me, and it might just be because I was fairly drunk the first time I watched it, but I have watched it since, and you know, as you saw, I've got the Blu-ray here. Um, I just think the atmosphere at times in this is great. It's one of those things where the mood in the darkness of this cornfield, other than this little kind of cabin that they find, makes me think, oh man, I would, I would be bricking it now if I happened to be walking through like a cornfield at night uh not that happens but you know <laughs> i'd be thinking oh man am i gonna get murdered by a possessed scarecrow now um <laughs> it's fun it's fun it's fun the acting is a bit questionable at times like i say there's a there's a character who i'm pretty sure and i think it might have been on the um on the special features uh i'm i'm pretty sure oh it's a reversible sleeve i've literally just noticed that I literally was looking on the back and it said reversible sleeve. And I've never even noticed that. But yeah, there's the other. There's the other artwork. That's pretty cool. It doesn't help that this case is completely red, so you can't see that there's a reversible sleeve on the inside. Um, Just a nice little touch. But yeah, I think one of the actors, I think it's the bold chap that's part of the mercenaries. I'm pretty sure he was a financier. And was like, you need to put me in the film. You need to give me a cool role. You need to give me certain things to do. And it's like, oh, you're, it's quite evident you're not an actor, but you're giving us money, so okay. Um, Frank the Counter Chat says it was all right. I'd give it a solid six point five out of ten. Well, there we go. We've we got the reviews. I think our average we got like a five. Um, we got a five out of ten. We got a seven and a five, seven point five, six point five. So I guess that gives us an average of what, like, uh, 6.75 or something like that? I don't know. Baby, I speak, Mia Goth wouldn't have been scared. She loves scarecrows. She does. That was a creepy scene in uh, in X. No, in X, in Pearl. Um, but that's that was your, your homework for this week's show. Now, keeping in with the slasher classics collection and i do need to add some more films there even though with the black friday sales i've noticed we're not even in december yet and my bank balance has depleted quite rapidly <laughs> i've still got four weeks to get paid again Ooh. um I, I i do need to potentially add some more films from this collection to my collection but i was looking on my blu-ray case earlier before going on the show that's how much prep work i do most of the time for the show and i saw a film which i thought i i'm pretty sure this may have been mentioned by someone in chat before as potential homework or someone saying that they've seen it and enjoy it and i thought you know what i don't think it's that super well known a film so why not set it for homework because i had fun watching it i think it's a bit crazy and that is popcorn now, has this got a reversible sleeve? Let me just check. It had... Oh. 
It has, but it's exactly the same. Oh, shit. Yeah, so, sorry, uh, audio listeners. I've noticed that this has a reversible sleeve, but the front artwork, it's just the back cover that's slightly different. What is the point in that? <laughs> Considering if you're watching this on YouTube on screen, the artwork I've got there is very, very cool, but that's not part of the reversible sleeve. But anyway, I, I, I digress. I digress. I digress. I've selected for your next homework uh, Popcorn. 1991 American slasher film uh, directed by Mark Herrier and written by Alan Ormsby stars Jill uh, Sholian, Tom Villard, Tony Roberts, Dee Wallace and Derek Rydell. So Gruff's not heard of it, neither's Fran the Cannon. Interesting. Well, I won't read the plot that's on screen because that's the whole plot. I'm going to take my glasses off because the text in this is really small. Um, okay, now I'll hold it there. Uh, Duh, 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 duh. Oh, just give me the blurb. Uh, this is... Oh, my God. Take my glasses off. <laughs> just get this so I can actually free the fucking text. This is Canadian Slice and Dice Action Part Excellence and returns to the good old days of splash blood, high body counts, and a mysterious killer as a young female screenwriter, played by the great screen queen Jill Sherlian from The Stepfather and Cutting Class, suffers nightmares of a strange figure who may well be breaking into the real world. Real, R-E-E-L. Uh, postmodern and provocative, and featuring a genre ensemble cast that includes D. Wallace Stone and Kelly Jo Minter, um, Popcorn has maintained a following of macabre movie fans for decades since its release. Canadian horror, exploitation apparently is the subgenre. So, there you go. My name's not Earl, taking my notes, watch Popcorn 92. Oh, it might have been you, my name's not Earl, that mentioned Popcorn. And Baby Ice, I haven't seen Popcorn since the 90s. There we go. I knew that. I knew there'd been some mention of it at some point, and it may well have been uh, My Name's Not Earl or, or Baby Ice. Um, but yeah, let's, let's go for Popcorn, guys. Give that a watch. Let me know your thoughts. Um, I probably should preface where can you watch this? I mean, not Netflix, because Netflix is absolute shit for uh, for horror. Let's be honest, most of the time. Um, popcorn. Or it's it's shit for niche horror, I should say. 91. Let's see, is it available on streaming? I think it might be on Shudder. Let's have a quick look on Amazon for y'all. Uh, so nine ninety nine on Blu-ray, the slasher collection. Everything else has just come up with tubs of popcorn that you can buy. I'm not going to buy popcorn from Amazon, especially popcorn that's twenty nine ninety nine. I don't care if it's three kilograms of resealable. Um, is it available on streaming? Hmm, doesn't look like it. Sorry again. I think the next film. It's just the difficulty is sometimes when you look on streaming, there's just nothing on there. So it's uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. So let's just look on Prime Video. Not currently available. For fuck's sake. I'm sure there's other means to watch it that I'm not going to endorse here. Gruff <laughs> man, I really fancy some salted popcorn now. Treat yourself. My name is not Earl. Hmm. Uh, I'll be talking about that film shortly. Uh, so that is your homework and I haven't set the homework music god and that's normally my cue for a vape break 
quick, quick vape honk in the interim. Um, so I won't play the gaming ad, but we are blitzing through the show at a, a rapid pace. Um, I will do it once more a little endorse for twitch.tv forward slash tezius, T-E-Z-Z-I-U-S. Uh, that's where I also do watch parties, usually on a Friday or a Saturday. We watch a horror film on, on Twitch and watch some comedy. I think what we will do, because um, I quite enjoyed it, I think Fran um, potentially did as well, is do a horror film or do a double bill of horror film and then watch an episode or two of Stan versus Evil. Um, we just started that on a whim on saturday and i actually found it pretty entertaining i did chuckle numerous times it's john c mcgintley from uh from scrubs dr cox and i, th- I thought it was pretty funny actually it's, it's pretty decent um but yeah that's a shameless plug for my twitch anyway i think it's about time that we move on to our featured presentation And for the featured presentation, we are, as mentioned, going to be talking about some of the films of Mr. Wesley Earl Craven. Wes Craven, born August 2nd, 1939, uh, unfortunately passed August 30th, 2015, was an American film director, screenwriter, producer, actor and editor. Uh, Craven has commonly been recognised as one of the greatest masters of the horror genre due to the cultural impact and influences of his work. Amongst his prolific filmography, Craven was best known for his pioneering work in the horror genre, particularly slasher films, where he mixed horror cliches with humour and satire. Um, I'm not going to talk about every single film of Wes Craven's. He's not got a huge, huge, huge filmography, but I haven't seen every film. I haven't seen every film of his. Um, So I'm not going to talk about every film I have seen. I'm going to just handpick... I've handpicked a few of the filmography, okay? Um, so, let's start off, though, with his, his debut, which was The Last House on the Left. Now, we have talked about this briefly uh, a little while back. I think it featured in the horror film Face Off, uh, which, Mel, I need to talk to you and, and Olas. Um, I've already got Peter on board, who unfortunately couldn't make it for the previous one. I need to talk to you guys about a plan for something probably in the new year. It's cutting it a bit fine to get it in this year. We've got a few shows on the line. But uh, Mel, if you're uh, still in the chat, we'll, we'll catch up in the Discord. We've got a plan for uh, for another face-off type uh, type deal, which I think should be uh, should be fun. But this film did feature in the horror movie face-off that we did in the show and i think we also featured it maybe on like best 70s 70s horrors very early on in in the run of ministry of horror but last house on the left is what he debuted with in 1972 american exploitation horror film written directed and edited by res craven in his directorial debut the film follows marie collingwood a hippie teenager who's abducted raped and tortured by a fugitive family on her 17th birthday when they unwittingly seek refuge in her home, the killers face the vengeance of her parents. Uh, the film was based on the 1960 Swedish film The Virgin Spring, directed by Igmar Bergman, which in turn is an adaptation of the Swedish ballad Tore Dottore I Vanga. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I probably butchered it completely. 
Uh, Craven developed the film with producer Sean S. Cunningham after working with him on Together, and once the filmmakers obtained a small funding from Hallmark releasing to make another feature film. Craven wrote a script originally overtly pornographic on the concept of shock factor, wanting to depict a violence in a realistic matter. Once casting began, Craven promised the actors auditioning that the film would instead be a traditional horror film. Um, it was originally damaging to Craven's career and was controversial for its marketing with the tagline, Can a movie go too far? Advertising its violence. Uh, it wasn't a massive box office uh, draw at drive-ins. Grossed $3 million against a budget of under 90000 Critics derided the film for its confrontational violence and Craven's use of black comedy. Scenes of slapstick comedy intercut with scenes of rape and humiliation. However, it has since achieved a cult following and was nominated for AFI's 100 Years 100 Thrills. Um, the film was particularly troubling for lead actress Peabody, who recalled struggling filming due to consistently changing scripts and suffering abuse from her male co-stars. Many of the other actors involved in the film have expressed regret for starring in it decades after its release. So, I, I think we mentioned on the show a little while back that uh, I think it was on the show with Peter Goddard actually talking about the seventies horror. That I watched this a number of years ago. I think. Um, trashy newspaper here in the uk the sun had done like a horror series where if you get the paper you would get a copy of these different horror films it's a weird concept but i think they had texas chainsaw massacre they definitely had hellraiser um uh brain damage or something like that was one of them and last house on the left was included in that it's very strange getting a picking up a newspaper for 30 pence and getting a free uh badly badly burnt um on it but you know free horror film on dvd i think that might have been the first time i'd I'd watched it or it may have been on like a box of the band which was a box set that was released i think they did two or three of them i only ever had the first one which include previously banned films showing as uncut and I'd seen Scream, I'd seen Nightmare on Elm Street, but I hadn't seen much earlier Wes Craven. And so I watched this and I was thought, I didn't like it. Did not like it. it. It really, it wasn't for me. I guess maybe I was a bit young. Maybe I wasn't that exposed to grimy horror. And this does have a sense of realism to it. I mean, you watch it now and obviously effects have changed and very small budget. But in terms of films of the time, it just it felt quite perverse, invasive, and there was a sense of realism to it. Now, after doing the show with Peter Goddard on the 70s horror, I did pick up a copy of this in another film we'll talk about shortly on, on Blu-ray, because I thought, I maybe I need to give this a rewatch. Maybe I need to revisit it. I thought it was excellent. The sexual assault is obviously incredibly difficult to watch. It's just nasty if anyone says they that they, they like those scenes in films then there's probably a little a little bit of something wrong with them but um i thought in terms of just how despicable the the fugitives the i mean was it krug what's the what's, what's the guy's name where's the cast list uh krug stillo he is just just the whole group krug weasel and sadie are just and and uh, Junie's just a bit of a simpleton they are just horrible. They are just horrible. Um, and when it leads to the parents then realising who is in their house and finding their daughter and you know, realising what has happened to them, incredibly traumatic. Incredibly traumatic. But the revenge that they take 
I thought it was bloody brilliant. Um, uh, it's it's certainly not for everyone. Like I say, first time you, I watched it, bleh, not for me. Um, the screenplay was written in... Uh, well, Sean S. Cunningham worked on the screenplay. He'd made his directorial debut with a 1970 White Coater film, which is sexploitation, apparently. Um, the Art of Marriage, which grossed $100,000. The film attracted the attention of Steve Manassian's company, Hallmark Releasing. I wonder if that's the same Hallmark as uh, Hallmark Films these days. Uh, which had a distribution partnership with American International Pictures. Cunningham made the 1971 film Together as a better version of The Art of Marriage. Wes Craven, who had no money at the time, was put on the job of synchronising dailies for Together and soon began editing the film with Cunningham, with whom he became good friends. Hallmark bought the film for $10,000 and it was considered a hit prompting the company to persuade Cunningham and Craven to make another film with a bigger budget the company then gave them $90,000 to shoot a horror film um, yeah I mean I think like I say we've talked about Last House previously um, but it's, I mean it's it's UK really so this was one of the video nasties uh, it was uh, refused a certificate for cinema release by the BBFC in 1974 due to scenes of sadism and violence. During the early 80s home video boom, the film was released uncut, save for an incidental gore-free scene with the comic relief cops. The comic relief cops are a bit strange. I mean, fans of Cobra Kai and uh, Karate Kid will recognise that Martin Cove, or Crease, plays Deputy Harry. That is a bit strange in terms of tone, but... Uh, um, yeah, this ended up on the Video Nasties release, and uh, many, many years later it eventually got released, but it still wasn't uncut. It has since been um, given an 18 certificate in 2002, with 31 second of cuts, and was released in the UK on DVD in May 2003. The cut scenes were viewable as a slideshow extra on the DVD, and there was a link to a website where the cut scenes could be viewed. The BBFC finally classified the uncut film for video release in 2008. Um, oh, we're getting a check attacked by porn bots uh put using the time out there we go uh, so that was that was last house and left that's what he debuted with now talking about films that i i watched and thought mm, not for me but i have recently rebought <clears throat> kind of at a similar time to last house but i haven't got around to rewatching yet so i don't know necessarily if my opinion will change on this one hopefully it does but he followed that up in 1977 with The Hills Have Eyes. An American horror film written, directed, and edited by Wes Craven, starring Susan Lanier, Michael Berryman, and Dee Wallace. Uh, it follows the Carters, a suburban, suburban family targeted by a family of cannibal savages after becoming stranded in the Nevada desert. Uh, following Craven's directorial debut, The Last House on the Left, producer Peter Locke was interested in financing a similar project. Craven based the film script on the legend of Scottish cannibal Sawney Bean, which Craven viewed as illustrating how supposedly civilised people could become savage. Other influences on the film include John Ford's The Grapes of Wrath and Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Hills of Eyes was shot in the Mojave Desert. The film's crew was initially unenthusiastic about the project, but they became more passionate due to Craven's enthusiasm and came to believe that they were making this special movie. Uh, it earned $25 million at the box office on a budget of between 350k to 700k. So it's a huge hit, and it spawned a franchise. Well, is it a franchise? I mean, it was a sequel, and then uh, the remake, and the remake sequel, wasn't it? Let me have a look. Yeah, 
not really a franchise, is it? I mean, I guess it is. A sequel and a remake, and then a sequel to the remake. Okay. Um, I've not seen the rem. I've not seen the sequel to The Hills of Eyes, but I have seen the remake, and I thought the remake was fine, uh, and the sequel to the remake was not so fine. Um, so let's have a look in the chat. Let's catch up on the chat. Uh, so Fran the Cannon talking about the TV show we talking about earlier on. Yeah, I nearly went and watched the next episode yesterday. Glad I resisted and watched something else. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, we will continue. We'll continue that show. Uh, my name is Earl. I haven't seen Shocker. Shocking, I know. That may be one of the films we're discussing. Um, I think I have some of those somewhere. Fran says I think that's about the Sun films, the from yeah the the, the newspaper. Baby Ice, we call this Grindhouse. Yeah, we have done a Grindhouse episode before. Um, my name's not a last house. Wasn't for Robert Shea. He was disgusted. Yeah. It's not for everyone. <laughs> my name's Noel. Also, just thought of the premise. Last house and I spit on your grave are similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's rape revenge films, isn't it? You know, they're. Uh, just not a pleasant watch <laughs> at the end of the day the subject matter is quite unpleasant um my name is earl the hills have eyes has always been such a disturbing oh sorry mel uh unexplained possibilities the hills have eyes has always been such a disturbing movie for me and my name is Earl. i rewatched hills last month i love it i think it's my favorite now i've still got this on my to rewatch list because again the first time i watched it didn't didn't do anything for me and i think this might have also been another film which it may have been one of those films free with the sun newspaper i i, I remember i watched it and i think i must have had a cheap copy or it might have been like a anchor bay actually maybe an anchor bay release on dvd but i do need to give this this a re-watch um but the development on this was craven desired to make a non-horror film following last house and left because he saw the horror genre as constraining However, he could not find producers interested in financing a project that did not feature bloody violence. Craven's friend, producer, Peter Locke, was interested in financing a horror exploitation film, and Craven decided to write the project due to his monetary issues. Craven considered collaborating with Sean S. Cunningham on a horror children's film based on Hansel and Gretel, but Locke wanted the film to be more in the vein of Last House and Left. According to Steve Palopi of Metro Silicon Valley, the finished film still features elements of Hansel and Gretel, specifically its portrayal of people getting lost in the wilderness and setting a trap for their tormentors. Uh, Palopi, um, Palopo... Palo Poli, sorry, also noted that the witch from Hansel and Gretel and the villains from Hills both tried to cannibalise children. In writing the project for Locke, Craven decided he wanted something more sophisticated than Last House on the Left. He added that he didn't want to feel uncomfortable again about making a statement about, body, about human depravity. Searching for a story to film, Craven began looking up terrible things at the New York Public Library. While going through the library's forensics department, Craven learned of the legend of Sawney Bean, the alleged head of a 48-person Scottish clan responsible for the murder and cannibalisation of more than 1,000 people. Uh, what interested Craven in the legend was how, after Bean's clan was arrested, they were tortured, quartered, burned and hanged craven saw this treatment of the bean clan by supposedly civilized people as paralleling the clan's own savagery craven decided to base the film on the legend another ins major inspiration of the project was toby hooper's texas chainsaw massacre one of craven's favorite films oh interesting in um yeah, I, I can kind of see that, that similarity of meeting savagery with savagery and how far someone can get pushed before they have to resort to similar levels of 
of violence and macabre. Um, yeah, I need to give it a rewatch. I can't really speak highly in a similar vein to Last House because, like I say, first time I watched Last House, similar feelings to first time I watched Hills of Eyes. But my opinion on Last House has changed dramatically. I don't want to necessarily jump to the conclusion that I watched The Hills of Eyes and think, oh yeah, actually, this is amazing. Um... But again, I can't remember too much about it. I really probably remember more about the remake, and I saw the remake before watching the original. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I need to give this. I, I need to set aside some time when I'm not watching the Buffy, and uh, and get get onto the Hills Have Eyes for sure. Now. The next film I have got on here, we'll only touch on briefly because we've talked about it ad nauseum recently, but uh, talking about Mr. Craven, he followed up, he did a couple more films, which I, I haven't seen, so I can't really talk too much on them, Deadly Blessings and Swamp Thing, but he then did 1984's A Nightmare on Elm Street. What what else is there to say about Nightmare that we haven't already? But I would be remiss if I didn't mention, obviously, creating this juggernaut of a franchise, bringing the world, um, Freddy Krueger, basically aiding in the in the building of New Line Cinema, the house that Freddy built. Um, what else can we say? Directed, written by Wes Craven, starring John Saxon, Heather Langenkamp, Johnny Depp, Robert Englund, of course, among others. 1984, made for 1.1 million, uh, made the box office 57 million. You know, what else? What else can you say? Um, not much. <laughs> so we'll move on from Nightmare to a film that I I picked up recently. <laughs> I picked up fairly recently because I thought there's quite a few Wes Craven films that I haven't actually seen. And I remember catching some of this on TV many, 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 many years ago and thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. And that is Shocker. Apologies for the shocking uh, low-res image on screen. But this is a uh, 1989 American slasher film written and directed by Wes Craven starring Michael Murphy, Peter Berg, Cammy Cooper and Mitch Pileggi, released uh, by Universal Pictures on October 27th, 1989, uh, grossed 16.6 million. Um, oh, in the chat, Keith O'Toole. Hey, Keith, anyone watching World Cup football? Um, funnily enough, not right now. <laughs> but I, I did watch the first half of the England-Wales game, so I don't actually know what the score is. And I've resisted the urge of bringing the score up, but if anyone knows the final score, be, feel free to put it in the chat. Um, I may check out any goals if there were any after the show, but uh, de decentish first half, no goals, nil nil. But uh, there we go. If you're a, a football fan, that may interest you. If not, you may be thinking, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> what else we got in the chat? Uh, I rewatched. Uh, so Keith O'Toole, I thought that was Kane talking about Hills Have Eyes. Fran, there's something about undisturbed places and the possibilities of what might lurk there. The de desert in Hills Have Eyes and the woods in films like Wrong Turn, that's not too unbelievable. Yeah, there's places like those areas in America or somewhere like Australia where there's just wide expanses of land and you know not all of it's been, been covered by the civilised world. Um, it's, it's, it's quite creepy. Um, Texas Chainsaw Manicure. Now that's a parody title right there, says Fran. 
um mel i've actually driven through places like the woods in wrong turn it's such a scary freaking thing when you're by yourself and even freakier when it's night time yeah no no thank you uh, my name is Al. The Hills of Eyes Part 2, 1985, was a really good watch after the first, um, and watch, I uh, really good, watched it for the first time the other week. Yep, yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. My name is not Earl. I've got to add that to my list at some point. And Mel, I hate how much I like Freddy. He's just such a despicable prick. And getting uh, you when you're at your most vulnerable is so good. Freaking malevolent spirits actually do that mess too. Um, Fran McCann Swamp Thing, a DC Comics character. Craven was ahead of the game. He really was. Like I said, I've not seen Swamp Thing or the, the sequel. I think there was a sequel. There's also been the Swamp Thing TV series, but I know that got cancelled really before it even really got started, but that's on Amazon Prime. Maybe we should watch part of that at some point in the future. I, I don't know anything about it, to be honest. I've got the Swamp Thing Alan Moore collection. Not read it yet. Um, that's one of those things I picked up, just sat in my bookcase forever. But anyway, shocker. This has Mitch Pileggi as a as a serial killer who, when he is sent to the electric chair, something goes a bit wrong and he can kind of turn himself into energy. Um, there's some good moments in this, but the finale, when he pursues the protagonist through a TV set into different scenes of films... Oh man, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty weird. It's a pretty weird film. Um, notably, Heather Langenkamp appears as a victim. Previously, she portrayed Nancy Thompson in The Nightmare on Elm Street and Nightmare Part 3. But she makes a brief cameo as Horace Pinker's first victim shown on TV news. Horace Pinker is Mitch Pileggi's character, who people may know probably more prominently uh, from The X-Files um so there we go for that um so in terms of its release according to craven the film was severely cut for an r rating it took around 13 submissions to the mpaa to receive an r rating instead of an x some scenes that were cut include pinker spitting out fingers that he bit off a prison guard a longer and more graphic electrocution of pinker and a longer scene of a possessed coach stabbing his own hand despite fan interest an uncut version has never been released um yeah it's you know i've got it on blu-ray somewhere if you're a craven fan it's worth a watch uh <laughs> i'm not gonna say it's a great film but it, it's it's got a cool little metal soundtrack uh the soundtrack on it's got iggy pop love transfusion megadeth covering no more mr nice guy uh soraya not the wrestler doing timeless love voodoo x this it, it, you know it's an early sorry, it's a late 80s slasher film it's not one of his best but i thought it was notable to to include um because it's one i've seen we'll move on next so after shocker he then released uh, again from nightmare and Amstra, i have skipped over a few because i haven't seen them uh i haven't seen hills was part two i haven't seen deadly friend um and i haven't Oh, I might have seen it, but I really can't remember. I've not seen The Serpent and the Rainbow, his uh, uh, Haiti zombie film. I've not seen that. Or if I, I may, I always get The Serpent and the Rainbow and The Pendulum and the Pit mixed up, and they're two very different films. But part of me thinks, have I seen them? Nah, don't know. Um, 
instead what we are going to move on to another film which i do need to i need to give it a rewatch because i have seen it again not for, not for a very long time but i think it's notable to include and that is the people under the stairs 1991 american horror comedy film so this is what he followed up um shocker with uh it's a comedy horror written directed by wes craven starring brandon adams everett mcgill wendy roby and aj langer the plot follows a young boy and two adult robbers who become trapped in a house belonging to a strange couple after breaking in to steal their collection of rare coins i might actually um oh see you later uh, keith in the chat see you later and uh and mel be right back um I'm, i might actually try and depending on what time we finish and podcasts and stuff uh try and give this a watch tonight because like i say i remember this film being creepy but i've just it's it, i've never really thought to re-watch it but i thought when i looked at the list i got i got to i got to talk about it tonight um so craven has stated that the people under the stairs was partially inspired by a news story from the late 1970s in which two burglars broke into a los angeles household inadvertently causing the police to discover two children who had been locked away by their parents the film is a surprise commercial success and has been analyzed for a satirical depiction of gentrification class warfare and capitalism uh budget was six million and it made 31.4 million at the box office um according to our director craven oh yeah we've talked about that um it was made without significant studio interference the thomas w phillips residence located at 2215 s harvard boulevard in los angeles was used in the film as the house of the robesons everett mcgill and wendy robbie were cast as the robesons after having starred together as the married couple big ed and nadine hurley in the television series twin peaks you know what i've never made that connection i've never made that connection that's my, i'm definitely i'm definitely gonna have to watch the people under the stairs after tonight's show now because i love twin peaks and i saw this way before i saw twin peaks and we've we've done a fucking show on twin peaks um so let me go to amazon and go the people I th i'm sure this is on shudder um or it might be on freebie the people under the stairs um now it's available to rent for two pound forty nine which is pretty reasonable but but uh and then it's on blu-ray 14 pound 50 so is, is it on any prime channels fuck's sake well i can uh, rent it 5.99 to buy on streaming as well it's not terrible that's not terrible um so let's have a look at the chat let's have a little catch up on the chat so the gruff talking about uh shocker like electro from spider-man uh keith o'toole no one sees the former big show of wwe paul white in AEW. why is this well he did, i think he did a match didn't he but then he's just been doing commentary on dark elevation which to be fair is a show i don't watch so i can't really comment uh, he also did that awful way in between um a go-go and cody rhodes where he couldn't get the scales to balance properly it just it seemed to go on for an eternity uh the gruff keith o'toole because aew has too many wrestlers that struggle for tv time let alone older stars i believe he does some backstage work personally i don't want to see paul white i'm with you there mate 
um, and also the graph. Oh, I saw this late on TV years ago. Never heard of it before, but it creeped the hell out of me when I was younger. I need to rewatch it too. It's a shame it's not on. Uh, it's not on Prime. Otherwise, that would be a perfect film for a Friday watch party, dude. My name's not Earl. I watch People Under the Stairs all the time growing up. Great movie. My childhood is People Under the Stairs and Weekend at Bernie's. Now, Weekend at Bernie's. That is a film that I saw such a young age that I need to. I haven't seen in so long. I used to like watching Weekend at Bernie's, um, Uncle Buck, The Great Outdoors, um, Caddyshack. Those are the films that I really remember from an early age. But for whatever reason, I haven't I haven't seen in such a long time. Weekend at Bernie's, man. I've not and I've not seen the sequel. And the gruff says the sequel not so much. Um, but yeah, this this film it's uh it's it's a creepy it's a creepy old film where he breaks into this house and um with these robbers and they basically find that this creepy weird snm murderous couple because i'm sure the guy's wearing all like bondage gear or something have all these kids that are basically prisoned under their house and have become almost like uh I'm trying to think, is it the Mollocks in in X-Men? The people that live under the um, underground, where they become like accustomed to it? And they almost seem like monsters, but actually they're not. Um, it kind of feels like that, but oh man, I'm going to have to watch this. I'm going to have to watch this soon. Um, um, <laughs> my name is Earl in the chat. Love Weekend at Bernie's. Funnily enough, all those came on over the weekend. Oh man, that must have been the best weekend. Mel, that must have been the best weekend. Um, so further on talking about people under the stairs, Craven at one point said that he would like to remake the film along with The Last House on the Left and Shocker. However, after the release of the 2009 remake of The Last House on the Left, which I've, I've not seen the remake, uh, news of a remake fell dormant until 2015 when it was announced, shortly before Craven's death, that the director was developing a People Under the Stairs TV series for sci-fi. Now, sci-fi, you know... You know my opinion on sci-fi own productions. Um, God love them. They're not normally great. <laughs> on October 30th, 2020, Collider reported that Jordan Peele and Wynne Rosenfeld signed on to produce a remake under Monkey Paw Productions for Universal Pictures. Um, I still need to watch Nope, but I have read up, out of curiosity, what the story was on Nope, and I thought, yeah, not for me. Um... Um, Jordan Peele, man, it's his name is starting to become like a, an Eli Roth for me. And we again, we've talked about this before um, on the show that has a great sort of breakout horror, um, and then following releases don't seem to kind of match that or or seem to seem to disappoint. You know, in in my opinion, then his name is getting slapped onto films in various sort of producing roles. I don't know. He's immensely popular, but for me, I thought Get Out was great. Us, I, I just didn't really like Us. I've, I keep meaning to give it another rewatch, well, to give it a rewatch and see if my opinion has changed. But when I watched it, I was like, uh, I don't think it's that great. And the explanation for what the doppelgangers were, I thought was kind of shitty. Really, it I don't know. Uh, and then yeah, the the Twilight Zone TV remake didn't think that was that great. Um, so seeing that his son to do a remake of People Under the Stairs doesn't infuse me. I think what seems to be, in my opinion, a bit of a kiss of death or a bit of a 
a warning sign is when uh, a new horror filmmaker or filmmaker sort of bur- bursting onto the scene has a hit or has a hit or two and then their name starts being coming attached to remakes like Jordan Peele. I don't think people understand this is the only remake. I mean, obviously he did the remake, the, the new adaptation or the new version of uh, Twilight Zone as mentioned, but it does seem to happen that a f- filmmaker becomes a new person on the scene and then they're attached to the new remake of something. And I always just think that doesn't often seem to go great. I, I, I do tend to think, and I, I get it, if you're coming up in the world and making a name for yourself and then you've got an opportunity to do a remake a film that you love why wouldn't you do it because you oh, I could put my own spin on it i'd love to do that I get you know i do i do understand that but at the same point i just kind of feel that oh man make more of your own have make more of your own thing i don't know i don't know it's I mean, this could be something that's left in developmental hell. I mean, that was two years ago. I haven't heard anything more on the people under the stairs um, from uh, from uh, Jordan Peele. So, who knows? Now, the chat is saying uh, Mollocks, like from the novel The Time Machine. Yes, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, and Mal says, People under the stairs had no business being as good as it was. It's very intense. And the graph says, Yes, Stefo bondage gear in that film. Um, Mal, uh, well, there goes my excitement. I dislike Jordan Peele. And uh, my name is not Earl. Nope was disappointing. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, I've got no issues with remakes, reboots, because my view is the original's always still there. It's not going anywhere. You know, I I like horror franchises where there's sometimes w- more bad entries than good. The the ones you like aren't just disappearing. Um, that being said, when there becomes a, a new remake coming out, and you have certain names attached to it, there's 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 directors that I'd be excited to see what they do on a film, but there's other directors where I've just been like, I'm not really that fussed with their work, or I don't really like their work. So when I see them attached to a film, I'm like, eh. I mean, I don't dislike Jordan Peele because I like Key and Peele and I like Get Out, but yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a name that just seems to be getting attached to a number of things, and you think, oh, come on, come on now, buddy. Um, so 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 so, let's move on to what else have I got selected? So. Afterwards, Craven did The People Under the Stairs. He did a couple more films. He did Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Again, we've talked about that during the Nightmare on Elm Street series. He did Vampire in Brooklyn. Now, I did try and watch that for the first time recently. I did turn it off after about 20 minutes because I thought, oh, man, uh, this does not seem to have aged well. And saying that, I never, I never saw it when it got released. So I didn't think it was that good. So I'm not going to talk about Vampire in Brooklyn, but if you're a fan, fair, fair dinkum. But what we are going to talk about is, and we're going to kind of talk about them as a as a whole. He revolutionised, really, the horror genre. He he breathed new life into it. Let's be honest. Um, and Fran, oh, you've already guessed one of the last films I'm going to talk about. <laughs> um, he did breathe new life into horror with the Scream series. So. Scream kind of took what he did with Wes Craven's New Nightmare in terms of the meta-ness. Whereas Wes Craven's New Nightmare talked about um, 
the actors, you know, Robert Englund, Heather Langenkamp, playing fictionalized versions of themselves, and that the Nightmare on Elm Street films lived in that universe as films, it played with the the metaness of that side of the world creeping into their fictional reality. With Scream, we basically took they're not playing fictionalized versions of themselves but a uh high schoolers who are fully aware of horror films who basically did something which didn't really seem to happen that much of being aware of the tropes of horror that had been established from the 70s and 80s into the early 90s and that played a huge role in in the film we had a serial killer going around gutting teenagers typical fare for a slasher film but we had self-awareness. We had um, Randy, the incredibly referential character of, of the horror genre, who pointed out rules of horror, the sort of things where if you're a fan prior to this film of watching horror films, slasher films in particular, there's certain things that you would just pick up on, kind of unwritten rules like uh, don't split up, don't go down to the basement to check out the sound, all these sorts of things, the cliches, as it were. And he put them into the film as as points to, to watch out for. So it's directed by Wes Craven. It was written by Kevin Williamson, and it stars Nev Campbell. This is the first one I'm going to talk about. David Arquette, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, Jamie Kennedy, and Drew Barrymore. A bunch of actors at that time that were fairly unknown, except for Drew Barrymore, who's a famous child, child actor, um, who is killed off in the opening five minutes, five, ten minutes. But... Actors that have, in their various ways, gone on to you know be pretty pretty big, whether they're synonymous with the Scream series or doing other things as well. Uh, it was released on December twentieth, nineteen ninety six, following a high school student, Sydney Prescott, and her group of friends in the fictional town of Woodsboro, California, who become the targets of a mysterious killer in a Halloween costume known as Ghostface. The film satirizes the cliches of the slasher genre, popularizing such films as Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, and Craven's own Nightmare on Elm Street. Screen was considered a unique film at the time of its release for featuring characters aware of real-world horror films who openly discussed the cliches that the film attempted to subvert. Inspired by the real-life case of the Gainesville Ripper, I'm going to click on that because I don't know what that is, uh, Scream was influenced by Williamson's passion for horror films, especially Halloween. Uh, the screenplay originally titled Scary Movie. See, I did not know that Scream was originally going to be called scary movie which i think that's just brilliant because of scary movie satirizing this uh, a couple of years later uh, was brought by dimension films and was retitled by the weinstein brothers just before filming was complete the production faced censorship issues with the mpaa and obstacles from locals while filming on location uh, received positive reviews and was a financial success earning 173 million dollars worldwide against a 14 million dollar budget becoming the highest-grossing slasher film until the release of Halloween in 2018. Oh, excuse me. It still remains the highest-grossing slasher film in adjusted dollars. Um, I mean, this obviously, as you can see, created a, a, a franchise. Um, but let's have a quick look at this Gainesville Ripper, because I don't know anything about this. Daniel Harold Rowling, 1954-2006, known as the Gainesville Ripper, was an American serial killer. He murdered five students in Gainesville, Florida, over four days in August 1990. Rowling later confessed to raping several of his victims, also committing a triple homicide in his home city of Shreveport, Louisiana, and attempting to murder his father in May 1990. 
In total, Rollin confessed to killing eight people. He was sentenced to death for the five Gainesville murders in 1994. He was ex executed by lethal injection in 2006. Yeah. Uh, never heard of him. Um, so, yeah, that, that was Scream, 1996. Um, yeah, we kind of talked a bit about that there. He then followed in 1997, Scream 2. So... Uh, I didn't really realise that was such a quick turnaround. And this was actually the first Scream film I saw, uh, was Scream 2. 1997 American slash film, directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, stars Niamh Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, Sarah Michelle Gellar, so that's part of the reason that initially brought me to watch Scream 2, because um, I wasn't even a teenager at this time. No, I must have seen this, I think, maybe a year or so later. I'd have been, like, 9 or 10. But I was aware of Buffy, um and Buffy being in Scream 2 whenever I eventually saw Scream 2 I was like oh yeah cool uh, Jamie Kennedy's also in this Laurie Metcalf, Jared Connell, Elise Neal Timothy Oliphant, Jedda Pinkett and Leave Schreiber um, it was less than a year after the first film by Dimension Films, second installment of the franchise followed by three sequels Scream 2 place, takes place two years after the first film and again follows the character of Sidney Prescott and other survivors of the Woodsboro Massacre at the fictional Windsor College in Ohio where they are targeted by a copycat killer using the guise of Ghostface like its predecessors, Scream 2 combines the violence of the slasher genre with elements of comedy, satire and whodunit mystery while satirising the cliche of film sequels uh, Williamson provided a five-page outline for a sequel scrim when auctioning his original script, hoping to entice bidders with the potential of buying a franchise. Following a successful test screening of Scream and the film's financial and critical success, Dimension moved forward with the sequel while Scream was still in theatres, with the principal cast all returning to star, Chrome to direct, and Bob Charming to provide music. Um... The film suffered controversy following its significant issues with plot information leaking onto the internet, revealing the identity of the killers. Combined with the film's rushed schedule, the script was rewritten often. Pages were sometimes completed on the day of filming. Despite the issue, Scream 2 earned 172.4 million at the box office, only 683k less than Scream, and received positive reviews from critics, with some arguing that it surpassed the original in quality. Uh, I think it's a real toss-up between which is better, Scream or Scream 2. I mean, Scream 2 is the first in the franchise that I saw. Um, and it does have some really great moments in it. Randy's death is incredibly shocking. This is, uh, he seemed like one of those characters that you're going to have around for a while. I guess we say that now, but really, back in back in today, if someone survived the original, if they returned in the sequel, they wouldn't survive the sequel doesn't seem that way these days especially with tv shows now becoming a lot more prominent where if someone's going to die it's a new character but um we'd had officer dewey getting stabbed up in a number of these films but then surviving and uh and yeah with randy gets dragged into this uh news van stabbed up and we see his pretty pretty you know, bloodily mutilated corpse and it's kind of shocking but again it plays on the uh, awareness of sequel tropes um again it's a whodunit uh, agatha christie basically but in a in a slasher format um yeah th i mean the fact that this was made less than a year after the original while the original was in theaters and <clears throat> due to that bloody internet scripts having to be rewritten a number 
of times. Um, Da, 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 da. So let's have a read of this bit. Um, Williamson would confirm that he considered a sequel concept where the character of Sidney Prescott would now be attending college and a copycat ghostface killer would start a new series of murders. Dimension Films agreed to pursue the sequel in March 1997, by which point Williamson already had 42 pages of plot developed, which involved four different killers Derek, Hallie, Cotton Weary, and Mrs. Loomis who is the mother of one of the pre previous film's killers. On July 1997, filming began on Scream 2, but after Williamson transferred his script to the production, it was leaked onto the internet in full, revealing the identity of the killers and a large amount of the involved plot. This resulted in the production continuing to film with only a partial script while Williamson conducted extensive rewrites, changing much of the film's finale, the identity of the film's killers, and drastically altering the roles of other characters such as Randy Meeks and Joel. To avoid another such incident and present sensitive plot details being uh, revealed through other means, the actors were not given the last page of the script until weeks before shooting, and the pages that revealed the killer's identity were only provided on the day the scene was shot to the actors involved. The short production schedule on Scream 2 and his work on other projects meant that Williamson's final script used for the film was detailed in some areas but lacking in others, with Wes Craven forced to write and develop certain scenes as they were being filmed. The incident was the first in which a film was significantly affected by an internet leak. In 2017, Williamson claimed the leaked script was a dummy draft that was crafted specifically to avoid leaked details. Williamson claimed that there were three dummy endings written. They were worried that the killer's identity would be leaked, so he rewrote several endings. Three in full, if memory serves, and when actors and potential crew members asked to read the script, we would send the script with a dummy ending. There was even a fake ending where Dewey was the killer. They existed as a decoy and nothing more. Extreme measures, but we really wanted to keep the killer's identity a secret. Um, There we go. There we go. So, following on from Scream 2, he did do a film called Music of the Heart. I haven't seen it. I can't comment on it. It's a musical, American biographical musical drama. So, I mean, we know my thoughts on musicals. I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> so we'll move on to Scream 3. Now, I only recently rewatched this. When I, when I saw it at the time, I did think it was a bit shit. I'll be honest. I thought the killer in it was a bit shit. I'm just being honest. Watching it recently, it's okay. It's just not as good as the first two. The killer in it is still a bit shit, but it's... There's worse third entries out there. So Scream 3 is a 2000 American slasher film directed by Wes Craven and written by Aaron Kruger. It stars Neve Campbell, uh, Neve Campbell, sorry, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, Parker Posey, Patrick Dempsey, Scott Foley, Lance Henriksen, Matt Kiesler, Jenna McCarthy, Emily Mortimer, Dion Richmond. I was going to try and do a, a Joe from Family Guy <laughs> impression, but I can't. And Patrick Warburton. Released as the third installment in the Scream franchise, it was originally the concluding chapter of the series until the franchise was revived in 2011 with a sequel. The film takes place three years after the previous film and follows Sidney Prescott, who has gone into self-imposed isolation following the events of the previous two films, but is drawn to Hollywood after a new ghost face begins killing the cast of the film within a film. Stab 3. Scream 3 combines the violence of the slasher genre with comedy and whodunit mystery, while satirising the cliché of film trilogies. Unlike the previous Scream films, there was an increased emphasis on comedic elements in this instalment. The violence and horror were reduced in response to increased public scrutiny about violence in media following the Columbine High School Massacre. 
Scream script screenwriter Kevin Williamson provided a five-page outline for two sequels to Scream when auctioning his original script, hoping to entice bidders to buy a franchise. Williamson's commitment to other projects meant he was unable to develop a complete script for Scream 3, so writing duties were undertaken by Kruger, who discarded many of Williamson's notes. Craven and Macro Beltrami returned to direct and score the film retrospectively, or respectively, I should say, sorry. Production was troubled with script rewrites, occasions when pages were only ready on the day of filming, that sounds familiar, and scheduling difficulties within the main cast. Principal photography took place from July to September 99, and the ending was refilmed in January 2000. Um, so let's have a quick look up at the chat. Uh, so, where, oh god, there's quite a few that I've missed here. My name is Noel. Vampire in Brooklyn is bad. Eddie is a fan of Hills Have Eyes, so that's how Wes got the job. Um, the Gruff, what, Craven directed Vampire in Brooklyn? Never knew that. Saw it was released and thought it was pretty crap. Uh, I really like the design of the Scream film posters. They're all pretty awesome, says Gruff. My name is Noel. Scream 1 and 2 are great. 3 and 4, all right. 2022 one sucks, in my opinion, says my name's not Earl. Brand the can. I've not seen the 2022 one yet, but I found one to four extremely rewatchable. The graph. I watched all the Scream films recently, enjoyed them all, but for me, the third was the worst. I saw Scream 2 at the cinema back in the day. That's how old I am. Original's the best, but 2 is a close second for me. Fran, agreed. One edges out 2, but not by much. The graph. I was very disappointed with how quickly they killed off Sarah Michelle Geller. Main reason I went. And my name is Noel. Killing off Sarah Michelle Geller early was my fave part. Uh, <laughs> Fran, at least we we knew if Tez ever goes full horror villain, there's clearly some musical based incident in his past. That's the reason. <laughs> uh, baby, ice. my internet went out. I missed half of the stagnamit. Scream one or Nightmare Part One better win best of show. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see. There's still time to get your votes in. Uh, the Graph, you have the musical episode of Buffy to look forward to. I'm actually on that one at the moment, uh, Graph. I'm actually on that one at the moment. It started earlier on. I watched the first, like, five minutes of it or so before I had other stuff to do, and I was like, I don't see this one winning me over in terms of a musical episode. I'll be honest. I know everyone who's not a fan of musicals says, oh, it's a great episode. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, but yeah, this was made for a budget of forty million. Uh, box office, it made um, one hundred and sixty-two uh, million. So it still did okay, but eh, there's there's moments. I think it's in this film. There's moments of um, Sydney seeing things, and that's something that kind of gets used surprisingly actually in in twenty twenty two. But in this, is the first time of having this moment of like. Uh, we're seeing in her psyche as opposed to what's actually happening don't know it's an odd film the third one is it's not great is it it's not great it's all right it's not great um let's so what else have i got left so i do have the poster for scream 4 in here which is his last film we will talk about that and then we will jump back one but after scream 3 he did uh cursed red eye i've not seen cursed Red Eye's fine. I didn't bring it up here because I think it's just more of a thriller. It's a bit of a by-the-numbers film, I'll be honest. Um, we will jump ahead to Scream 4 since that's literally on the screen right now. Uh, so Scream 4 is a 2011 American slash film directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson. Produced by Outer Banks Entertainment, distributed by Dimension Films. The fourth film in the Scream franchise stars Neve Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, 
Emma Roberts, Hayden Panettiere, Anthony Anderson, Alison Brie, Adam Brody, Rory Culkin, Marielle Jaffe, Eric Knudsen, Mary... Oh, there's too many people. The film takes place on the 15th anniversary of the original Woodsboro murders and involves Sidney Prescott returning to the town after 10 years, where Ghostface once again begins killing students from Woodsboro High. Like its predecessors, Scream 4 combines the violence of the slasher genre with elements of black comedy and whodunit mystery to satirise the cliches of film remakes. The film also provides commentary on the extensive usage of social media and the obsession with internet fame. The series was originally intended to be a trilogy, concluding with Scream 3 in 2000. However, in 2008, the Weinstein Company announced a third sequel was in development, with Craven confirmed to direct in March 2010. In September 2009, Arquette, Campbell and Cox were announced to be returning, after which the casting process lasted between April and September 2010. Um... Scenes set in and around Woodsboro High School were actually filmed in Woodworth Middle School in Dearborn, Michigan. During production, Erin Kruger, who previously wrote the screenplay for Scream 3, was hired for script rewrites. Reshoots were filmed in early 2011 following test screenings. Uh, Scream 4 was the final film to be directed by Craven before his death in 2015. It was followed by Scream, an anthology television series, which is pretty good get over the fact that it's a different mask but it is a different story it's it's not bad i thought the series from what i remember of it was it's decent um it didn't have the it was made for mtv without the involvement of the main cast or crew of the films although roger l jackson returned to voice ghostface in the third season a fifth film that is a direct sequel simply titled screen was released in january 14 2022 divisive film i thought it was decent the reveal of the killers by probably by the third film, I would say, becomes very, very cliche. And each subsequent film, I do think the reveal is pretty cliche, um, you know, in terms of their, their reasonings. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's I, I, I thought Scream 5, Scream 2022, I thought it was decent. Now, with Scream 4, obviously it's got the notoriety of being Wes Craven's final film unfortunately we've got an all-star cast really of um, returning actors and up-and-comers Anthony Anson I'll always associate with Hang Time because that was the first TV show I remember seeing him in um, uh, Kristen Bell is appearing in an interview universe film Stab 7 Lucy Hale in Stab 6 um, I mean Christ yeah lo loads of people Anna Paquin as Rachel for me, I find Scream 4 fine but forgettable. I don't know what it is with the, with, with this film. I've rewatched it a couple of times. Nothing in this film sticks with me. I don't think it's a bad film at all. And I think the ending, the, the finale, was pretty memorable. But prior to that, for whatever reason, it just... I, I, I hate to say it, but I do just find Scream 4 unfortunately for me the most forgettable in the franchise I which is conflicting because i still think it's better than scream 3 um if i had to do a ranking of the films i'd say scream 1 closely followed by scream 2 scream 2022 scream 4 scream 3 yeah yeah um but for whatever reason i don't know what it is scream 4 just is I just find it's quite a forgettable slasher. Um, and I think maybe by Scream 4, 
as much as Neve Campbell is excellent, Sidney Prescott is our, our heroine front and centre of all these films. It started to feel like, man, either just either just unfortunately kill her off or have her just escape this. And I think that's kind of solidified by Scream 2022, which, like I said, I did enjoy that. I did think that was pretty good. There's been a bit of news recently that Sidney Neve Campbell isn't returning to Scream 6 because the pay that they offered her was quite insulting compared to her involvement in the franchise um i believe they were what was offered was supposedly quite low it wasn't a case of you know getting big for your boots or anything i think it was quite insulting but that being said for me watching scream 5 on one hand it's obviously great to get your legacy characters back because if they can do it of course why not but specifically for her character it just kind of felt like these things would be happening if you weren't here regardless and it just kind of felt like bringing her in for the sake of it and she's there for the finale but it did kind of feel like we'd have got the same things without her i'm not saying i don't want nev campbell to appear in screen films because sydney prescott's our lead character but in terms of she'd moved away finally from woodsboro she had a family kids her life was together and then she gets dragged back into it um to to help out um which is i just thought was a bit lazy maybe but at the same point she does deserve to have gotten away and had a happy ending um so yeah i don't know it's just a bit it's just a bit weird just a bit weird but this was one of those ones where i kind of felt like yeah she has a connection in in terms of the story but i don't know i don't know i I found scream 4 forgettable i just i don't want to i'm not ragging on it at all before anyone gets up in arms i i just find this one doesn't stick with me a friend can in the chat ford doesn't really have any standout kills until the last one except maybe anthony anderson's that could be it that could be it it's it you know i mean alison Bree's death i guess kind of but maybe that's because it's alison Bree, who's uh annie from community and among other things um but we will now ju- jump back to the film prior to this. I thought I'll do Scream 4 first because they're doing the Scream films kind of together. And his penultimate film, Wes Craven's penultimate film, was a film that I remember picking up on, on DVD at its release, My Soul to Take, 2010 American slasher film written directed by Wes Craven. His first film since 1994's Wes Craven's New Nightmare that he wrote, produced and directed. It stars Max... Theriot as Adam Bug Hellerman, who is one of seven teenagers chosen to die following the anniversary of a serial killer's death. Denzel Whitaker, Raul Esperanza, and uh, Sharika Epps also star. The film's title comes from a line of the prayer, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, uh, which reads, If I shall die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Craven, Craven previously used the prayer as a mantra by Nancy Thompson in A Nightmare on Elm Street. It was released on October 8th, 2010. It was unsuccessful at the box office, grossing just $21 million against its $25 million budget and received negative reviews from critics. Um, it was produced by Anthony Katagas and first-time producer Ayala Buka, who's Craven, who was Craven's wife. Uh, Henry Hopper, the son of actor Dennis Hopper, was originally cast in the lead role of Bug, but was replaced by Theorot after, after Hopper contracted mononucleosis 
which is glandular fever. Man, I've had glandular fever. It's not nice. <laughs> I mean, I, I dropped some weight when I had glandular fever, but I couldn't breathe really for a few, like a week or so. It was just like, oh God, horrible. Uh, accompanying the artist, John Margara, uh, Magaro, John Magaro, um, as a Alex Dunkelman, Adam's friend, who is abused regularly by a sadistic, boorish stepfather, Quint. Uh, Paula Olesinski um, plays Brittany Cunningham, who shares a mutual secret attraction to Adam. Uh, Nick Lashaway plays Brandon O'Neill, a dashing athletic jock and the handsomest boy in his school, who is attracted to Brittany. Emily Mead plays uh, Leah, Fang. Um, Zena Gray, Denzel Whitaker, yeah, we've already mentioned them. Oh man, I found this a, a very nothing film. I've not rewatched it since I first uh, since I first saw it when it came out. But this, to me, had the same feel in terms of unnecessary jump scares and also, I guess, disappointment as when I first and the only time also that I saw The Ward, which I think was released at a similar time, The Ward by John Carpenter, where it just felt like. Oh man. I mean obviously people are getting older and they're not gonna be as lively or as enthused or whatever, I don't know, in, in their craft and I don't know other things that go on behind the scenes, all that stuff. I wouldn't want to speculate. But watching this, like the first time I watched the craft the the ward, sorry. I think I might have said the craft, I don't mean the craft. The ward by John Carpenter. It just had this kind of feel of lazy jump scares. Not great acting. Not that much to talk about, really. I can't remember a thing about this film. I thought I'd include it because I have seen it, but it just, from memory, had these really shite, constant jump scares. Now, to me, if I don't jump at a jump scare, then it's bad, because I jump at most jump scares. Most jump scares will get me, even in very bad films. I watched Smile at the cinema. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was... got. It should, it, I don't think it was as good as the hype it was getting. But I thought, okay, it's fine. It's not great. Jump scares still got me. This has tons of jump scares, like the ward. And I thought they were crap, personally. Um, let's have a look at the chat. Uh, Baby ice, salt takes stunk. Fran the Can, I thought you might skip this one, so I felt it flew under the radar, so you might not have seen it. Uh, my name is not uh, What is this? Never heard of it. Um you know maybe it was something i need to re-watch and reevaluate, such as you know hills have eyes um but it was i don't know man i i felt like i'm glad that he came back and did scream for as much as i say i find it quite forgettable because if this had been his last film oh that'd been a, a poor way to end things but then of course how many filmmakers last films are great you know, we, we've kind of had a, a potential for a renaissance for Dario Argento recently with Dark Glasses, it was called. Started off really, really quite good. Looks really good. Last third of it was absolute shite, which is really just un unfortunate. I don't know what happened. If they had a great premise for a story, they just didn't know how to end it. And obviously The Ward was the last John Carpenter directed film. He's, you know, He's done some behind-the-scenes bits for, like, Halloween 2018. I'm not sure what his involvement was with Halloween Kills or Ends. Of course, we've got to mention Ends on a... Uh, Halloween Ends on a Ministry of Horror, just a wind-up graph. Um, but, you know, it's... It, the ward was not very good, I didn't think. Um, 
so my, I can't really think of many directors who have had great there's probably been tons but in terms of the horror directors that i can think of, i don't think there's that many where their final film in a long career has has been uh good uh so what's what's the chat saying fran it was very 2010 straight to dvd style film yeah i agree 100 percent agree also had frank grillo and danielle um Gura, uh michonne in walking dead in oh i didn't realize that didn't realize that uh mel tez going in hard on my soul to take i agree with you though yeah it's not good baby i should rewatch good look you're on your own baby i your homework uh, <laughs> no, no no i wouldn't do that fran the had some interesting ideas but wasn't executed well slasher fred hey slasher fred welcome to the show where's craven had directed a few episodes of the 1980s twilight zone oh i've i'm gonna have to dig those out i i haven't really seen any of the 80s twilight zone slash fred i must say i don't think it's that easily accessible we get the black and white on tv sometimes and i did have recently the black and white classic rod sterling box set i can't say that i've seen much 80s twilight zone other than other than the film uh so I'm, i will have to check that out um and the gruff oh man i would be fuming if i was carpenter after ends <laughs> well i remember before ends him saying yeah it's interesting it's different <coughs> which is encouraging i guess uh but yeah my soul to take that's the last one we'll talk about for wesley craven rest in peace so that brings us to the end of yet another edition of the ministry of horror thank you very much if you've been watching this live if uh if you're catching up on this on vod be sure to give the uh channel well the 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 video a like uh be sure to give the youtube channel a subscribe it really does help we have memberships all that good stuff you can unlock emojis there's shows like ministry of marvel uh we've got our archives with ministry of dragons another show i worked on limited series that was a lot of fun with my good friend jamie um check us out on audio platforms if you're listening to us on spotify apple podcast stitcher um you know please give us a a review ideally five stars but whatever you think is fair um it really does help with the algorithms getting the name out there getting more exposure to the show the more reviews there are the more people see it um as mentioned we've got other shows there's a ministry of uh, slam on sundays bericles's turning years comes out bi-weekly on thursdays um and we do some gaming we've moved most of the gaming now to twitch so uh lawrence does uh, retro gaming and loads of other cool he's got like a whole variety of gaming his twitch channel is twitch.tv forward slash voodoo underscore gamer check him out or oh, no voodoo rocks oh fuck it's either voodoo rocks voodoo underscore rocks or voodoo underscore gamer i think it's voodoo rocks voodoo underscore rocks chat will confirm um just just ch check both of them it's it's one of them i've, I've suddenly gone blank and mine is twitch.tv forward slash tezius i do watch parties on a friday or a saturday um where we watch a horror film on prime and some other bits and bobs uh, I also do gaming. I've started doing a bit more gaming. Dark Pictures Anthology. I'll be doing the Callista Protocol when that comes out. Um, football Manager. Of course, Football Manager. And Mel's confirmed. Voodoo underscore rocks for Lawrence's Twitch channel. Thank you, Mel. Uh, all that good stuff. Check out the Discord. I put a link earlier on the Discord, but I will do another one in the live chat if people uh, wish to join that. It's a really good community. Loads of cool stuff going on there. Um, and uh, yeah, all that good stuff. All that good stuff. Right, I think I've done all my housekeeping that I need to do. So, next week's show. I think next week we might to do the David Cronenberg episode because I'm going to aim to watch Crimes of the Future 
do a review of that talk about some david cronenberg films uh early in the new year or at some point in december we will talk about killer dolls because the megan film comes out in early january so we'll talk about you know killer dolls and films obviously we talked about chucky fairly recently but we'll talk about annabelle talk about other cool stuff i'm going to speak to mel on discord and i'm going to speak to olas carter as well along with uh, film director peter goddard because i want to arrange something with those guys to do another horror face-off i had a heck, heck of a good time doing that um uh earlier this well last month or I don't know. The, the months blur into one, but fairly recently. So I want to do something with that. And Peter Goddard will be coming on the show uh, fairly soon-ish, date to be confirmed, to talk about English folk horror. Uh, it's going to be... Does that include... Oh, my name's not on the live chat. Does that include Ventriloquist? I've not seen Ventriloquist. My name is not Earl. I mean, I've got time to try and find that film and watch it. Um, so if that's a good film, if you can recommend that, I will try and locate a copy. But, you know, there's plenty of time for the killer dolls one to uh, to get that watched and talked about so i will we have had a live chat a live poll running um for favorite wes craven film so with no votes last house on the left uh 33 of the votes the hills have eyes uh the scream franchise the scream one to four of wes craven 20 had 33 percent, and the winner a nightmare on elm street with 53 percent so that's quite a majority there as well. Quite a majority. And of course, Mel in the chat, Puppet Master, better be talked about. Of course it will. And Demonic Toys. Um, for, yeah, for good or for bad. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that brings us to the end of another show. Thank you very much for watching. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. I hope you've had a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun. I'm now going to work on getting the podcast live and uh, see what the England score was and try and watch... Uh, the people under the stairs. I'm going to see if I can uh, get a copy of that and watch that before I go to bed. Have a great evening, and uh, I will catch you later. Goodbye.